Democrats overall, a few things and I know this from running, they get really excited about the big, sexy races running for president, Congress, Senate. Yay. That's not even where most of the money is spent or the action happens. So there needs to be a thought process for the long term versus just short term reacting to who's in office. Right before and then during Obama's presidency, it wasn't very strategic because they had their superstar. They could just, you know, throw Obama in a room and raise a million bucks. And that it was like kind of structured around the, the celebrity of politics. Um, and it brushed over a lot of um Thing, like the blocking and tackling that needed to be done, which is these local, these city council races, the court seating, the court appointments. We can't always hope for, uh, you know, Obama, somebody that walks on water politically or 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 we have the devil in office. <laughs> like those that we seem to be at our best when that happens. But we need to be able to win the close and the boring and, and the regular races, too. Welcome back to Yang Speaks. I'm your co-host, Zach Grauman. Today is a tough day. Now, um, I imagine many of you know, it's been the elephant in the room on this podcast for six months because it was illegal for us to talk about it. But Andrew Yang ran for mayor of New York City. Um, And election day was this past Tuesday and we lost. Uh, We didn't do particularly well, um, particularly where we started, um, which was as a front runner. And it stings. It sucks. We will do postmortems and Monday morning quarterback this whole thing many times. Um, I'll get we'll get Yang back on here to talk about it. Um, but right now he he just I think he frankly needs a vacation and some sleep. Um, but I want to say this because a lot of you have been listening to this podcast. I'm sure you've known about the mayor's race and have supported and contributed. Many of you volunteered and came out to New York and knocked on doors. And I just want to say. Y'all are not the reason we lost. We didn't lose because we didn't knock enough doors. We didn't lose because of that article or that tweet or that moment. That's elections are big picture things, y'all. They're not. They're not small picture things. Um, <clears throat> the reason we lost this race is because when we entered, we thought this race, and it was, it was all about COVID recovery reopening the economy. It was cold. It was dark outside. We had no vaccine. Businesses were closed. And cash relief, our bread and butter, what Andrew to stand for, what Humanity Forward has stood for, was number one. And then over the course of the race, the economy opened up. The vaccine got out, got delivered, distributed. Um, Our schools reopened. The weather warmed up. And then crime went up and it became a crime race. And... um, when there's a crime epidemic and you're running as an outsider with no formal government experience, uh, your lane gets pretty thin pretty quickly. And I think at times we maybe lost our way trying to find it, but uh, the reality was it was um, a tougher race for Andrew in particular when that's the dynamic. And that sucks. Um, but I want to say, and I think it's important to say, we ran for president and for mayor because we wanted to rewrite the rules. We wanted to legitimize this movement 
um, <clears throat> and making an economy and society that values people. And we've only been at it a couple of years um, and we've made tremendous strides and we're not going anywhere. Like this is just a hiccup, frankly. Um, and it stings and it's a big deal. I'm not trying to belittle it, but um, our best days are ahead of us. This movement, Andrew Yang, is not going anywhere. I think you all know that. Um, but from the bottom of my heart, um, for those of you that did help, thank you. Don't blame yourself or don't blame others or don't look back and try to Monday morning quarterback this thing. It's a big picture situation. And I'm, look, I'm a, I don't know about y'all. I'm, I'm a religious guy and this is God's plan. Um, sometimes you just got to stop trying to control everything and uh, believe in the higher power and believe you're doing what's what feels right in your gut. So a day of reflection for us. I'm recording this a day after the elections. That's never a fun day if you didn't win that race. Um, but uh, they still don't have the final results. Um, so they'll be calculating those. But um, so we'll know a little more as we go. But anyway, guys, I love you. We're going to go back to regular programming. And it's regular as if it's not good. It's awesome. Um, I've got a conversation here today on the future of purple states with a guy named Rob, Rob Richardson, um, who is I mean, what hasn't this guy done? He's the founder of Disrupt Art and Disruption Now, but he's uh, from Cincinnati. He's run for office multiple times. He has a radio show. He's doing some amazing things in that community. It's one of my favorite conversations we had um, and helping me get my mind off uh, the New York City mayor's race for a bit. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll be back to talk more politics. There's going to be a lot more new things coming down the pike for Yang Speaks. That's probably the silver lining here for you listeners is that this podcast is going to get good again or even better again um so get excited for that um over the next coming weeks but for now rob richardson joins yank speaks right now all right it is my privilege to welcome someone who now that i've like I call it professionally stalked online and got to see the accomplishments. I've lo I'm looking up to you. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to welcome Rob Richardson to Yang Speaks to talk about the future of. He's the founder of Disrupt Art and Disruption Now. One of the most interesting people on the cutting edge of what we're talking about on social impact and frankly, the future of art in many ways. Rob, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hey, it's good to be here, Zach. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I was just telling um, off off the air before we started. I was, I was jealous of your your brick background. Uh, I got to work on that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so um, so, Rob, tell us. Um, let's start. Let's start with you a bit. Um, your background. I mean, you've been basically everything you've done is touched art, business, faith, politics, media, activism. Uh, tell us like, your story. I feel like your background is uh, frankly one of a kind. To be honest with you. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. So my. Um uh, my story, I always start with how I got interested in wanting to have impact. And, and it's because I, I, I've had so many opportunities, but I also uh, know what it's like to be judged or limited because of your past. So I, I struggled in school a lot initially um, in uh, elementary till about the eighth grade. I was in uh, le learning disability classes. I have ADHD. I don't they just, just, it's, it's really a learning difference. Uh, yeah, but me back too, then, but mine wasn't diagnosed then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> but, but back then when they diagnosed it, 
they diagnose it as a learning disability. In the correct term, it's really a learning difference because uh, it's just how one learns. But you know, people didn't know that then, so they they would put they, like kids would know when they were be, when they were being put oh, in the yeah. classes that they were different or they weren't smart. Yeah. And so that 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 those labels begin to affect you, and it definitely I know it affected my thinking and how I thought about myself. But I reached the point; it was towards the end of the eighth grade. I remember it well. Uh, I remember the moment, and I told my teacher, "Look, uh, I believe that I can achieve more. I want to I want to start preparing for college, take advanced classes, and do whatever I need to do to catch up." Because to that point, I had been in a lot of these classes, and they weren't challenging like they should be. Right, and I knew I could do more. And, and you were growing up in Ohio. Where'd you grow yep. up? Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Yep, Got Cincinnati, it. Ohio. And so, Zach, I remember this. <clears throat> still remember this conversation like it was yesterday, Zach. I, I had a conversation with my teacher and this wide-eyed eighth-grade kid tell, telling her all these things that uh, he wants to do. And she looked at me with a dead serious face, Zach, and was like, well, look, um, college is not meant for everybody. And uh, and and uh, I, I, I hate to have to tell you this, but that's not something that you're, you're, you're going to be able to do. Like, that's not in your future. And I'm like, okay, and I'm literally crying, like, so, so, and crying, both of disappointment and probably rage all at the same time. So I, I, I go back and have a, a much better conversation with my mother, and these words still stick with me to this day. She said, "Look, Rob, you don't have to be defined by anyone's low or narrow expectations of you. You define yourself for yourself by yourself." Uh, so I, I took took those words to heart, and you know, despite what that teacher said, some of my counselors said, all those all those folks, um, I moved forward, and so I, I did. I ended up going not only going to college, I, I, I graduated in electrical engineering, moved on to go to law school, and then got a chance to come back and actually serve my alma mater and be the youngest chairman in its history. Uh, but I know that 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 story turns out differently for a whole lot of people. So why I've done everything that I have done and will do is because I don't think people should be defined uh, by their past or their or their or their current situation. I want them to uh, fight that and really disrupt the the narratives and the constructs that are put in front of people. That's that's why I believe in disruption in that way, not to disrupt for the sake of disrupting, but really disrupting to empower. Uh, so that's been what's at the heart of driving me. When you were that age, making that, was there a role model in your life or someone you were aspiring to? And that could have been a celebrity to a parent, like any, any or brother, you know, whoever it is, or friend. Like, was there someone where you saw like a model of success, or were you truly trailblazing in what you thought would be productive for what you wanted? Well, I mean, I have my parents. I, I, again, I have I have good parents that were my my mother uh, was an entrepreneur who who uh, started her own business, learning from her. Her father, uh, who started his own business, he was he was actually pretty old. He was born in 1902. My grandfather never got a chance to really know him well. He died when I was about three, but um, he has lots of interesting stories. But one is that he he was actually a chef for uh, many people during the Great Depression, and so um, and so she really and he had lots of kids. So my mother was a later stage kids he had, but like um, she learned from him uh, that entrepreneurial spirit and carried that and, and started a restaurant that didn't that didn't succeed uh, for a lot of reasons, didn't have adequate uh, capital. But um, she found her way back and went back to work, paid back every single bill, never even defaulted on the loan. And, um, you know, I, I, that res- that that just spirit and that re- that that level of resistance and resilience uh, inspired me. And then my dad is a is a union leader. Um, and seeing him day in and day out and really his experience of serving and fighting for others and seeing that. I mean, both of those things ex- inspired me. And I wanted to 
you know, I just got, I just, it just, the light bulb went off. I said, okay, I understand things need to get serious and I need to start preparing for college. And I wanted to just be serious. And it just, it just, it clicked for me at that point. And I was behind, I will tell you, I was behind, but I, that experience of having, I had to catch up most of all of high school. But once I got to engineering <clears throat> and I still wasn't where some of the other kids were uh, because they had been preparing longer, but I had the grit. And so when they first got their, when they got their first D on something, they just had a mental breakdown and everybody went, they wanted to quit. Like, I'm like, hell, I mean, just, hey, figure it out. I've had to learn to adjust to, to working hard. So uh, I, I think that, I know that experience of having to go through that resistance made me a better student and ultimately uh, likely a better leader and a better person. I'm sure, man. I, I love, it's funny, sometimes it, when you're growing up, um, there's certain people end up with a chip on their shoulder and sometimes it's real and sometimes it's made up, but usually the chip on the shoulder is a good thing. It keeps you humble and hungry, if you will. Um, so you end up, so you graduate, you get the dream of going to college, then a master or a law degree. Um, and then you're back at the university. You, you end up in politics. Where, where does this journey keep going? Really in college, I think is where I got the second, like the light bulb that really said, I really want to, to be in public service. Uh, I started the first college chapter of the uh, in, uh, of the NAACP in, in like our local area in the tri-state, as we call it, because it's like Ohio, Kentucky and Indiana. So I started the first college chapter at that time. And uh, it was significant because of things that were going on at that time. Uh, the city of Cincinnati uh, was then was, was essentially where uh, Minneapolis is right now in many other cities. We had uh a lot of struggles with our police force. I think if I remember the name, uh, the, 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 the stat correctly, it was 15 in custody deaths of black men with police, like in a few, in a few years. And the, um, so you had those things going on. So that, that activism was very, it was just a part of my experience because it was part of what I was going through. Not, not, not nationally it, living in the city of Cincinnati, right. Uh, with, with a police force that had a lots of systemic problems and, and um, and so that experience informed me to really want to get involved. I went to NAACP convention, saw, you know, just kind of got inspired and said, I really want to, I want to, I want to, I want to organize and help change, uh, help change the laws, help change society as much as I can. So that's why even when I was in engineering, I knew I was going to go to law school and my experience there kind of informed me. Now, fast forward, uh, ran the NAACP for four years there. And then I ran for student body president. As I was running for student body president, uh, uh, an officer shot and killed uh, a teenager. His name was Timothy Thomas. Uh, and his crime was parking tickets. And he was killed. Jeez. He was killed unarmed. And, um, and that, that sparked protests that turned to demonstrations that turned to all out riots. Yeah. Um, and, 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 the, and the city had to be shut down. All of this while I'm literally in the middle of running for student body president. So and the NAACP nationally comes in, CNN comes in. So I'm like on the platform. I was already doing these things and that just helped, helped me even more kind of launch the things I was doing. And I, I, I ran away with the uh, student body presidency and won. So I got the false belief that when I ran for office, it was going to be that way too. Because <laughs> the <that> first experience <laughs> went that way. But all, all those experiences happened. So that informed, uh, you know, what my perspective of, what I wanted to do and get involved with uh, public policy. When something becomes an issue, let's call it Black Lives Matter, the movement, George Floyd right there, right? Um, you start off with the, the outrage and the general consensus, like, yes, this is a problem. Um, 
And then it starts, once you start to get tactical, it starts to get politicized, right? And you live in a purple state and you see it. Um, and I don't know if I call this purple anymore. Let's, that's true. Fair, but, um, <laughs> that's aspirational. Yes, but hopefully, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> life for to be nice. Yeah, All right, right, maybe better. Um, look, I mean, I think a lot of it, of course, is the, I think the Republicans are better at this than Democrats in many ways in terms of finding that wedge issue. Um, but we're both guilty of um, politicizing everything. You know, and you're, I just was so curious about this. Um, Andrew and I did an episode after George Floyd shooting. And it's like, what can we do? Like, like solutions wise. Um, but now that from your perspective, both from the NLACP in college or with the student body and then running for office during when these, these issues are front and center, let's say you are in charge. Um, what do you think the actual tangible solutions are? And then, so like, there's one that's probably aspirational and then what's like realistic. Yeah. I'd, I'd love your thoughts on either. Well, that's a, there's so many questions packed in there. If I can, very quickly, when we talk about uh, framing the issues, what, what, the, what the right does that is dangerous and more effective is, is they know how to pull emotionally. They know how to target people emotionally and do so in a way that has hardly anything to do with the issues, right? They just, they just target, they know how to target certain emotions, critical race theory, all this nonsense they're doing there. Like they know what they're doing. They know who they're targeting. And they know how to message and stay disciplined on uh, disciplined on that. What um, many progressives, Democrats, whatever we want to call ourselves here, um, don't do is there's not there's not necessarily that understanding of the other side and how powerful that is. They have a propaganda machine, and we have to understand that that's what it is, and we tackle it as such. I just I think that's fundamentally so important because we because there's not there there both sides politicize things, but one side does it in a way that promotes propaganda. And I think it's very, 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 very dangerous for democracy. So I just have to say that. The expression someone told me when we were running for office was that uh, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. And uh, it's true. But what can be done and that folks should do to be progressive is know how to understand how the other side and what they're doing, know how to speak from uh, from a framing that, that, that frames things in an emotional way. And what we tend to do is um, you know, we sometimes frame things in a way that's not very helpful, but we allow the right to do that. The best example I can think of is this whole defund the police. Yeah, of course. Horrible frame. Like I, I got friends that are that that <clears throat> tell me the frame people need to do it. I think some of it is they're in a Twitter universe where that plays well. Nowhere else does nowhere. that play well. Literally nowhere. Nowhere. But what 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 Democrats do that are running for office is they allow then the Republicans to frame that issue with they want to defund the police. They want to defund the police. This is coming from activists online. And I'm not I'm not I'm not faulting activists. This is what activists do. The goal is to push the edge. But what but but, but what Democrats should do is, OK, when that issue comes up, you can't just fumble over yourself and say, I'm not for defund the police. Then what are you for? And you mumble over. You should have you should be very you should be very, very clear in what you're for. Like I am for accountability. I am not for uh, off, uh, the problem is bad officers are not held accountable. And I'll make sure that, that that bad officers are held accountable. That officers that kill people when they shouldn't need to go to jail. And I am for that. I don't know what my opponent's for. Maybe he believes that we should have bad officers, but there are but there are some uh, industries that can't have bad apples. You can't. Ha- we we don't accept like I think Chris Rock said this. We don't accept like uh, a bad pilot. Like okay, yeah, we got a bad pilot. <laughs> like it's okay. Uh, like, this is a few bad apples, and it just killed like 500 people on a flight. Who cares? Like yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a- just a few bad apples. There are some <laughs> industries. Right, Great analogy. That can't have bad yep. apples. 
Yes. Uh, and, 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 and being an officer is one of those industries. Now, I believe officers should be paid more, but I also believe they need higher accountability. Doesn't yes. mean need, it doesn't mean we need more officers either, by the way. It doesn't mean, you, doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we need to spend more money on getting more officers. It means we need to pay officers more, have better trained officers, have a better process of picking the officers that we choose. So let me get back to the question if I have solutions. Immunity, right? Qualified immunity, yeah. Are the cops can... Essentially, that needs to be get gone. away with murder. Zero. Like, way. there's no, there is no justification for that. Uh, if I think one of the things, if that happens, if you can be held personally liable when you are reckless with uh, someone's life, or your 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 the the taxpayer shouldn't always have to be the ones picking up Pick the bill the when an officer makes not that makes a mistake when an officer shouldn't be an officer when you know these officers should not be here. So. I mean, that's one thing. Qualified immunity as from a federal level everywhere. There's no reason why that should be there. I'm a strong supporter of unions. Uh, I believe that they that that the FOP can still have some rights to negotiate. It's gone too far, though. They have too much power and it's gotten to the point where people they're going to eventually lose power. This happened to a lot of different unions. When you get to a point where you abuse the uh, the power that oh, you have, oh, unions been losing left and right. Except right, for policing it seems like right, but like policing is is it, they have too much power. So uh, cities need to start using their powers instead of and not and sometimes in the arbitration actually fight. This is very hard to do. I, I I've run for municipal politics. I have no illusions about this. Extremely hard to do. It's extremely if you hard. You are a mayor in a local city. Yes, the police is your best friend. Yeah, and, and it needs to be, but the but the relationship can't be that the police have that the police when you talk about the police union that you have to do everything that they say. Agreed. That, I'm not but, saying I'm not saying that's but, even correct. I know you're not, it? I, yeah. but, but, it's, but it's practically <laughs> very, very, very hard. I'm not saying this is easy. Yeah. So what the grass people on the ground are going to have to come up with solutions too. So what I think is going to have to happen is so if I was in charge of if I was in charge of an organization, let's say, because it's going to have to happen at some federal level, but it's going to have to happen a lot at the local level. There needs to be some specific issues and actually go after things at the local level. So there are a lot of cities that allow you to have. I don't know. How, I don't know how New York works, but Cincinnati has charters, so you can make amendments within the city uh, and how the structure of the government by presenting it. It's a direct form of government, and there's a lot of cities like that. So, if you know, so I would do what. If you know what the uh, what is that organization that the Koch brothers started? Uh, anyway, when it comes comes to me, they'll come. But what they did is they were really strategic. They started in cities and figure out what legislations do we need to pass that are in the interests of our constituents. So they have these crazy gun laws that you know they figure out a way. Oh, let's bring a gun to the, to a nursery. That's that's got to happen everywhere. Oh, stand your ground in the middle of the street. Everybody can be the wild wild west. So because this is what the NRA wants. But they have a that the. Or we want to go after unions, so let's go. Let's let's have laws passed in oh, each yeah. one of these states. They, it's so Americans for Prosperity and That's Cato it. Institute are kind of That's the big it. ones. Americans um, are for, for for prosperity. So and there's probably well, stuff we they're doing we don't know about. But I agree right. with you. They they do this fear play, and if you're not paying attention, like if you're just a casual, because then you and I and Andrew and anybody who's on Twitter with the blue checks and stuff, they're all hyper focused. But if you're a casual person, you're like. You're not paying attention. You're like, well, crime's up because I'm seeing all these stories on crime. And I'm seeing the people I thought I liked on the left, the Democrats are either saying defund the police or a version of it or stumbling over it. And you're scared. And that's not necessarily fair um, that they should be scared whether it's hyped up. But I think that's the reality that we as Democrats or anyone that's actually trying to fix something needs to grapple with. We need to have the Americans prosperity approach to doing this on the other side. So let's get smart because what... Democrats overall, a few things, and I know this from running, 
get really excited about the big, sexy races running for president, Congress, Senate. Yay. That's not even where most of the money is spent or the action happens. So there needs to be a thought process for the long term versus just short term reacting to who's in office. So an approach should be what type of legislation do we need to pass at at local levels to really have substantial changes, to have more accountability and more equity within our criminal justice system and within the police force? And so there are ways. Do we do we look at qualified immunity on local levels? Do we look at making sure that we rein in the power of uh, of the FOP if it's out of control in certain areas? How do we do that? And do we do it by so do we do it by state law and we and we and we press there and we, and we create model legislation? That's what we should do. And get then we get activists also on the ground to work with us and, and, and at least go on a on one accord in a page like our goal is not to defund the police. Our goal is to have police accountability. Our goal is to make sure that the community can trust the police, because if they can't, nothing can happen. I mean, so um, you, you we have to have the approach on not just everything being solved in the president's office and, and not and not giving all of our money, all of our time, all of our focus there. There has to be some local uh, uh, focus. And I would probably I would choose some target cities and target areas uh, to build from, have some uh, have some actual success because success breeds success and then grow from there. I agree. So one of the things when I um, when we were running, I got to work with the DNC and to their credit, they have new they had new leadership when I got there and they were starting a whole bunch of new things. But uh, I guess what they were saying was that in the 2006, 2000, basically before right before and then during Obama's presidency, it wasn't very strategic because they had their superstar. They could just, you know, throw Obama in a room and raise a million bucks. And that it was like kind of structured around the, the celebrity of politics. Um, and it brushed over a lot of um, things like the blocking and tackling that needed to be done, which is these local, these city council races, the court seating, the court appointments. Um, so 100% agreed with you. So you just ran for Ohio Treasurer, I think was the most recent one. Did you get caught in this where it's like, I got, I'm running against someone on the right who's got a wedge issue and I'm stuck here because I need the far left to turn out um, because they're going to have the excitement in this. But I also know this race is going to be won with moderate voters and, and casuals, right? Like where did you get stuck on? Was there a wedge issue or something in your race that you saw? And it, it gets spun and all these things, right? What'd you see? So the answer is, uh, uh, I got myself out of not being stuck because I try. I was I was gonna be, but I didn't because I I I, I go, I'm a, I'm a why person. So one of my favorite books is by Simon Sinek. Start with why. Great um, book. Yeah, it is, it is a great book. So everything I, I do when I talk about my mission and my vision, I lead with my why. And if it doesn't align with my why, I'm not going to do it. Now it doesn't mean that you don't figure out how to do it in a way that's uh, where you can have the most effect because you never just because you don't change your why doesn't mean that you can communicate your why the same way with this, uh, every time with this, with, with or every that person. your why is very good or people care about it. You know, if your right, why right. is I, I want to be in, pol- in power, it's not always it's so compelling. <laughs> that's not yeah. really a why. That's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> true, 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 true. Most people don't have a why, which is a big problem in politics. Getting to your question. Um, an, another way to state a why for the political uh, nerds and everyone is what is a line from Lyndon Johnson. He said, what convinces is conviction. People have to believe what you believe that you're putting forward. So I, I authenticity, I, that is my measure for how I articulate uh, issues, not trying to figure out how do I say it in the most moderate way, because people won't believe you anyway. <laughs> and that, that's, right, and that's the problem Democrats have trying to figure out how to say. And you notice people on the right never do that. So I, I actually disagree with the premise. 
like whether people say they're moderate, like here's what you got to do. You have some things you have to have a core conviction about some things Mm -hmm. like everything in moderation, even moderation. Some things, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Some things people have to know that this is what I am willing to fight for. So an issue that came up that was because people just don't believe you otherwise. And, you know, and frankly, Republicans are better at being propaganda and playing lies. So Democrats should be I'm not saying they, they, they choose every single issue and not here, but there's got to be some issues, something that you have to say, this is my non-negotiable, at least one or two. And so I had two. Right. I had two. One was criminal justice. Not surprising. I actually got endorsed by the uh, FOP statewide. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, the one issue that came up was uh, there was a uh, statewide issue on criminal justice reform and it and it and it. Um, it made a lot of uh, felonies for uh, drug possession into misdemeanors and focused a lot more on uh, treatment than uh, locking folks up. It's one of my fundamental beliefs. Right. Right. And, and the way it was spun, though, when it was spun a whole other way that we're going to lock allow criminals and this and that. Oh, yeah. And the it, right can yeah. take that little inch right. and make it a mile. Right. Very quickly. And they did. <laughs> and they did. I, I supported actually the gubernatorial candidate Richard Cordray supported at that time, too. And um, and so but many others didn't did not because they were scared or scared of the polling. And my opponent tried to use it against me. And, you know, I remember this. He called out, well, you know, my opponent wants to use the constitutional amendment. That's not what it's for. It shouldn't be done. I said, I said, I agree. We should legislators should do that. You're in office. Why don't you change it? Oh, that's right. You don't want to. This is the problem. We have people that don't want to actually improve the issue. They just like to point out problems like I will not be that type of leader. I want to solve like that worked. If I got a chance to talk to people, I converted a lot of Republicans, got over two million votes. That's how Democrats have. They have to learn how to frame issues in a way that people understand. Um, and then so when I talk about and then, and then I talked about going after uh, pharmaceutical companies, I, I talked about that a lot in my um, in my in my pitch. And I was running for treasurer and I just said, I'm going to use the power of the treasurer to make sure that we and I talked about some, some specific ways I was going to do that. And we have a problem with uh, opioids like everyone else does. Um, but it's really bad in Ohio. But framing issues in a way that people can understand what you're fighting for, because Republicans may not agree with me or some on everything, but a lot of people had issues with opioids. A lot of people did not like the pharmaceutical companies. If I get them focused on that, um, they can understand where I'm coming from, from that perspective. Uh, so um, and then I try where you can be moderate. You should be like show people that you're reasonable in some ways, like everything doesn't have to be all the way to the edge on everything. But you do have to have some core convictions and beliefs, and you have to be willing to articulate it. I think one of the issues we ran across with this is that uh, the governor, everyone paid attention to the governor's race. That's one. Two, Trump really turned out voters and and he got them to focus on an issue that had nothing to do with Ohio. What do you think the number one issue for the first time Republican voters in Ohio was in 2018? What do you think it was? I'm going to guess either we were still talking about building the wall or we talking about Obamacare. Like what was it's close, close. The the, was the, the item of that moment, if you remember, was uh, the Central America, the Central American invasion. Remember people from Central yeah. America? Oh, were, yeah. The, yeah uh, what do they call it? Was the, like, yeah. um, caravan, right? Yeah, the caravan, the caravan, <laughs> the caravan, caravan. I mean, people, they got them looking over here and they're like, caravan, caravan. We're in and Ohio. The, <laughs> it's not going to come up here. I'm saying. Like, have you looked around? Like, this is Ohio. But. That became the central issue. And again, they know what they're doing. So Democrats have to be. And so when this issue, when, when we have issues that really motivate the people that are in our base, 
we have to own some of them. Otherwise, we can't win. Like it has to like we have to engage our base. We can't always hope for, uh, you know, an Obama, somebody that walks on water politically or 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 we have the devil in office <laughs> like those that we seem to be at our best when that happens. But we need to be able to win the close and the boring and, and the regular races, too. You got to have an energy to say, you know, I'd go to parts of Ohio or Michigan, Wisconsin and say I'm a Democrat and they think it's a you know four letter word. I think it's they cringe and it's um and there's a whole bunch of reasons for it, not all fair, but I, the Republicans are excellent at finding wedge issues. And what they're what, what does that mean is like every time Democrats make a mistake, and I mean, any of them from the squad to Schumer and Pelosi, um, they find it, they cut it, they print it on Fox News, they crank it through right wing media radio and they create, I mean, put it everywhere until the left wing press is covering a bit because it's fascinating. Um and that's not where most of the country stands. It's not where most Democrats stand most of the time. Um, we have this, I'm curious thoughts. We have this, I think it's fundamentally ridiculous that we somehow now expect everyone to agree on everything. You know, like what name one human being where you agree with everything they do or say or believe. It's just not true. And it's a sign of some sort of mental maturity where you can say, well, I'm looking more conservative on this and a little more liberal on these. And these are my non-negotiables and this like I'm not going to the mat over that. Like, um, did you find my question is really about the media where I'm going here is like, did you find the media pressuring you to be black and white on certain things where it's like, hey, where do you stand on this? And then, you know, it's like, oh, you know, if we found that a lot where like, you know, Andrew did, could care less about X, Y, Z issue in, in the sense that it's not core to his platform and doesn't think it's he's not why he's running. But you get caught up in that gotcha game or in the fight itself. Did you have you know things like that? Yeah, of course. And. It's challenging because you it is a game it is a game. You have to learn how to play to win. It's just the truth. And, and the media, the media's goal generally, it, you know, um, there are some great journalists, but generally the goal is to get clicks and to make money. So generating headlines is all that matters. And and, and back to my earlier point about propaganda, you know, this is specifically true with the right. Like they frame people as angels and devils like we don't even know why these people are good. They're just good people. You're just supposed to trust them. We, we don't know why these people are devils, but they're devils. And they're and you just have to know that. And so, you know, Fox News and many others, the biggest they have become an inter- they, they, they You get better context and stories from Disney than you do from Fox. Right. Fox makes up stories and propaganda based upon nothing. Right. And, and there's a lot of the right wing media because they know how to trigger their people. The left has we have our own issues, too. You talk about cancel culture. That's some in the left on, online, too. I, I really think the issue here is that so that social media has been um, started off great, but it's been it's been weaponized now in it's a way rough, that, man. yeah, it, it's been weaponized in a way that people can believe their own alternate realities. And it is their realities. And once some once the human brain makes up its mind, it's very difficult to change that. So I believe that what we have to do. And to avoid, I think overall, Democrats, people that care about democracy need to be spending a lot more time understanding how powerful propaganda is and spend a lot more money, time, resources uh, addressing propaganda. Because this is propaganda and making sure that we are uh, constantly trying to convert the people we can. There are a lot of people we can't convert, but all we need to do is convert a small amount of people just to get them to understand that this propaganda is being used and weaponized against them. And then we can bring them back. I mean, that's, it's been shown that can work. But I don't I still think Democrats and people that didn't like what the former the the former uh, occupant of the White House was doing, though, don't even want to say his name. 
I think they got too focused in saying we beat him, we win. I just, no, like he was a warning sign and things could get worse. Like think if someone was smarter than him, they could have done a whole lot of damage. You should be looking like Yang. We ran on this a lot. Like Trump is a symptom. He is not the core problem. He's a problem right now, but he's Correct. a reflective of a symptom. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, um, to me, it always seems like Democrats just seem to find their own wedge issues um, and pick them better. Than it's not that hard. Employees. Like it's it's the, the wedge issues there. They exist. I mean, it's I mean, they and then I actually think Democrats need to pass stuff, too. And be so I, I tell folks. So if you look at what's going on here and we got one person holding up the whole two, I guess, in a way. And I don't understand the strategy. But when you but then we'll talk about things to get people riled up. We'll talk about things we're doing with race, whatever, so on and so forth. So, and then we won't necessarily pass anything to solve these issues. That causes two problems. One, the rhetoric that's used is used to get the other side riled up. As we've said a lot today, it doesn't take that much and they can use that. And so that's one. The second is that it depresses your base and people that, so you need to, when we get in office, we need to pass stuff. What the best way to convince the best way to convince the public is to pass it. Case in point, Obamacare. It's popular now. It wasn't before. Pass, pass the bills. Like I don't understand any. I don't. So I don't see any advantage to um, to trying to placate to what Republicans want when they show you they have no interest in good faith negotiations. If it, if it was there, fine. It hasn't been there in 15 years. So what we have to do right now is pass, pass a bill to protect people's right to vote. Like this is kind of to pass a bill uh, to make sure that we improve our infrastructure and create jobs. Do these things. And I guarantee you, Democrats will win more. But if we get in office and we don't do stuff. Hard to argue that Democrats should be elected specifically when you can't pass the things that you say that you were going to pass or that you care about. Pass things. That's that's what you should do. Get stuff done. GSD. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So I want to talk a little bit more about what you're you're doing because I think um, a lot of these issues we're talking about um, 
like the broken system, the broken politics, the broken media. Um, I think a lot can be fixed with education. Um, I know that sounds like a fun catch-all, but um, I think the root of most of our problems is, look, you don't educate your populace, you don't give people access to good education. Um, Starts up to frit, start th things start to fritz, um, and it's tough to expect people to think logically when they're both poor and uneducated, right? Um, and that's that's frustrating. Um, or, um, well, I'm gonna challenge that statement a little bit. I think that's kind of true, but I also think there's some. I mean, the data shows that people are people are generally irrational, right? It's it's our default. Oh yeah, so you can be too, extremely yeah, educated. Because I found some very smart, educated people. People just get into their zones, into their and it shuts off and they just shut down and shut off. So um, a lot of dumb, smart people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole uh, bunch of people. And I think so. It, sadly, I most of them go to education. So if I can, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would, <laughs> and I put these things in three different buckets, <laughs> right? Uh, the power to change comes with protests because you have to fight back in order to make things happen. The protest doesn't matter until you actually have policy. So that has to be tied to policy, but you also can't sustain policy and protests won't matter unless you actually have power, right? And so, like, I think communities have to have to have, have to have to have to join together to get more power. Uh, it, it comes with education because you need education as a basis layer. So education has to be equitable, and there needs to be opportunities. And that can have a whole. So I I agree with you that education is very important. I just have a different reason for it. Like I don't think people are necessarily convinced because they have education. Um, or you make a good point. Uh, like just because yeah. we educate so, people doesn't mean they're going to be rational or not. No, get caught up I mean, what happens is and you're right. Right. I mean, people it, people tend to be well, the, the greatest indicator of, of someone voting for uh, that last person in office who clearly was racist or, or, or at least using racist propaganda and doing things as divisive as possible. Saying misogynistic thing. So you pick your reasons for, for not liking him. There's a whole lot of reasons not to like him. But um the single biggest indicator was people living in non-diverse communities. That that mm -hmm. was it. So like it's hard harder to hate up close, right? So when oh my you, gosh, yes, right. So like it's you can it's easy to believe stereotypes, but when you actually get to know people, it's a lot harder. Um, so we have to figure out how do we get more? How do we get how do we get more opportunities to connect people? How do we connect rural communities and urban communities in a way that's meaningful? How do we? How do we I think how do we expand access to uh, infrastructure in terms of not only uh, hopefully having, uh, uh, you know, high speed rail that connects us in different ways, but also infrastructure for the 21st century, uh, building out uh, Wi-Fi and uh, making sure that we that folks have the, the broadband support in all their communities like that. I think doing that thing and connecting people more, the more people can be isolated. You can give them all the education in the world. The more people are isolated. And, and they're in their corners, the harder it is. As I was working in um, in Brooklyn um, at, a, at a, a, a lower income school, and a lot of the kids did not seem to have um, kind of the, to your point, like the why they're in school. Like they're like learning math, but why? Like, what is this for? Um, just so I can get an A on a test for what? To go to college? That seems unattainable. Um, are you, I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but that, uh, but that, that's very there. important. You're right. I mean, there's, there's not a practical application of like, what is this, what does this matter in my life? So we started doing business competitions in these schools or bring the kids to the office. And it was like shark tank light where the kids would create a new shoe for Nike or something like that. Um, and the biggest thing uh, we found was that the kids are like, it changed their, their, their trajectory in their mind. They're like, well, this is why math matters because when LeBron James or Seth Curry, whoever, you know, Nicki Minaj is wearing those shoes or doing her music video, 
She's getting paid for that. Someone's running the numbers. Someone's designing the set. There's all these different things. Um, but I, um, I haven't figured out, um, like our, our org is growing. It's great. I do think this is like a core to what's missing in education, that like active, relevant learning piece. But I don't know how to do it at scale um, in that. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on um, how to get, I know you've done a lot of work with entities and businesses, but how to get the kids that need this access. And frankly, if they had the access to, you know, a direct path to Nike would be kicking ass at that firm. They would kill to have these kids ideas in many ways, um, but aren't getting it. And what, I mean, um, I mean, it starts with Wi-Fi we're talking about, but things you've seen and, and maybe even tell about some of the work you're doing to kind of break those barriers. I think it's interesting. At scale is really tough. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be local solutions in areas because uh, you have to be proximate to the area or to the problem to really have a long-term impact. Um, I don't have the answer to be, to be scalable. I, I, yeah, but, but I do know that there are some things that have to happen for it to work. They're the things you're talking about, the uh, connecting, uh, learning to, to things that, that kids understand and can see and touch. Uh, really providing education that is not just about, you know, learning abstract points in history or, or pure memorization, which I think is almost a waste of a waste of our time. Uh, I don't think that's what should be done. Uh, I do think there needs to be a lot more on how do we how do we get how do we teach them? Heck, things that they can like editing, um, uh, how to code finance. Then beyond yeah. that. But before you get to that critical thinking, put them yeah, in situations about, yeah, yeah in, in a way that is uh, real and, 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 and applicable like you did. Like if you had a Shark Tank thing and you made it apply and they got a chance to do that, the folks got a chance to actually do internships. I've found if we can get more opportunities for uh, exper experiential experiences where people can actually go and have jobs and, and, and work with uh, entrepreneurs, people in corporate America, and you have kids that normally wouldn't see that, they get that opportunity. Those things change perspectives. I mean, it starts with people changing perspectives about what's possible. Um, and it has to be done at the local level. Like I, scaling it, I, I, I don't know fully. I just have an idea of what has to happen at local levels. One of my biggest fears right now is the world is changing faster than it ever has. The world's always been changing, but now we're seeing that change accelerate. And Absolutely. You're starting to see game-changing technologies, and they're going to hit us faster. So I think the blockchain um, is one like massive example. I think deep fakes. I think 3D printing. There's some things that are going to start accelerating and changing everything. Um, and obviously, the internet has, has done its number on us. Um, yep, it already has changed how we think. Oh yeah, we we're about. like it's over going that way, and all the, these kids are growing up um, addicted to phones, and adults are addicted to phones too. It's not the kids' fault. Um, and but my fear is, um, so when this happens, there's a massive opportunity. We're gonna have a new market, a new economy, like all these things are gonna change very fast. But um, if it's still the way we are at are now, you're gonna have the wealthy, the elite, the powerful, the uber educated are gonna have access to these new changes on the frontier. And who gets left behind? The marginalized communities, communities of color, the, I mean, by the numbers across the board. And so my, my fear of the example is like, oh, by blockchain and Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies are gonna democratize finance and do all these great things. You're right, but there's gonna be the people that actually could use the democratization, not get access to them. Um, now, to me, the simplest way to solve that is actually your point, like let's get Wi-Fi everywhere. So like the kid is coming from a rough, like the worst background ever, like theoretically he or she is like ability to at least have access hypothetically to 
the treasures of the internet and some of these crazy ideas that are changing everything. Um, but that's obviously oversimplification, not the only thing needs to happen. But thoughts on how we can get the right, the communities that need it would benefit most of it into crypto, NFTs, like some of these cutting edge tech, whatever they may be. When I, when I hear all of these uh, politicians and I hear them on the left and the right, they focus on returning to things as they were, right? Make America great again. There's yeah, been when you're conservative, when you're rich, you got something to conserve, right? Yeah, you're older. yeah. <laughs> but there's other people that are conserving uh, a past that where America was the only dominant superpower where, you know, if it was just enough to be a white man and that's all you needed to be. And you can use, you can hang on to just that feeling. Um, or, or like uh, we had just everything was heavy manufacturing. Uh, that world's not coming back. It's never coming back. So we can't re- we, we, we can't, we can't recreate the past, but we can build a better future, as you say. And so our, our, our policies need to be thinking about what's coming next. Like you, 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 you really talked about a lot of it, but we know, I think the, I think the biggest both threat and opportunity is artificial intelligence. Uh, it's, because that 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 is that it that is and is going to rapidly change the the landscape of, of work. And so, you know, the question has to be: What is our policy going to be to deal with this, and 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 and, and to make sure that we are doing everything possible to 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 uh, get our get our citizens ready for that economy? And that has to be our approach. Our approach can't be we we're going to do what we what we've done before because AI and technology are moving things so are moving so fast uh, that. A whole bunch of people will be displaced. I, I, I'm hopeful that folks will have will be able will transition into new jobs that happened in the industrial revolution. But what people don't talk about is there was a 20 or 30 year period where people were massively displaced, and it was a horrible time. And so people never talk about they talk about what happened after we went through that. They don't oh, yeah, really, they talk about they, the, the benefits, right? They talk <laughs> about the benefits. They don't talk about the struggle to get to the benefits. They don't talk about the fact that when we had all these robber barons that we were uh, exploiting kids and that people were working like 15 hours a day and people were dying all the time on the job and they, no one talks about that part. Right. But, but what we had to do to make it better is we obviously had unions. We had people, we had workers fight back. We had child labor. Labor Day became a holiday because of massive strikes. I think a dozen people died. Yeah. And we, and we created an economy that began to address these concerns. Took us a long time to do it. Uh, We can't take that long with technology because it's going to move so much faster. And so we have to be more nimble. So it's not going to. So we have to have. And this, this is very difficult because often you have people in government that have no idea about technology. And so they're creating policies. They have no idea how to actually move it forward. And then you got a lot of technologists that some of them are very well-meaning. A lot of them just care about becoming very, very rich. Right. Um, and nothing wrong with getting rich. I believe in capitalism, but I believe in, 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 in having a system that works for people. So. Uh, why I'm in entrepreneurship right now, and uh, it's not to say I wouldn't get back into uh, running public office at some point, is that I believe it's so hard to really have that impact right now because people, people's brains are just so shut off right now. I have a lot of people that I can work with. I can say the same thing that I'm saying to you right now. As long as I, if I don't say I'm a Democrat, and I'm working in business, people are all for it. Like, but there's no real right. So like, so my goal is to really uh, expand where I can with entrepreneurship. So uh, our platform, Disrupt Art, is looking to use uh, art uh, that is aimed towards social impact. So we want to empower people that are in, in marginalized communities to be they're, they're going to be the feature of the platform. Uh, part of the platform is teaching these artists to become better entrepreneurs. And we also want partnerships to, to promote uh, 
art that is about social impact art. Uh, an example, one of the artists that we that that that, that that's going to come up on our platform. His name is uh, David Bianchi. He's a he's a big, well known actor. He's a pretty well well known actor, spoken spoken word artist. And he had an NFT about George Floyd and gave all the money to that. And I think he made like twenty. They made like twenty thousand dollars. I mean, there's a way to connect and, and empower the community. We want to use the platform to do that because the tech uh, the technology is not going anywhere. There are people that. I know you're not one of those people that say like, well, we just shouldn't do these things. I hear you, but artificial intelligence is coming. Blockchain is here. It's it's here. So the, the, the question is, how are we going to use it in a way that empowers people? So I mean, my job, I think, is to try is to is to use is to use my platform and use the power to help and empower more people. That's what we are hoping distinguishes disrupt art. It's disruptart.io. Now, the, from other other platforms, they're about just selling, but we want to actually create a, a platform that will have uh, events and, and accelerators that are helping uh, these artists, but also eventually entrepreneurs and others use the power of technology uh, to help transform society. You said a number of things that are, um, we could probably go a whole bunch of different ways on this, but I think um, one of the things that just stuck with me is that uh, you know, I could say the same thing. But if, if as long as they don't say Democrat, Republican, I can have a rational conversation. As soon as we put, you know, it's like root for the Yankees, the Red Sox or uh, I'm a Buffalo Bills fans. So, I, you know, I don't want to talk to Patriots fans. Um, you know, it's like it doesn't matter what you say. You know, I don't, I don't like it. Um, and that's what's happened is like political fandom. And it's one of the reasons I think, Rob, is like people like you, like throw their hat in the ring into politics. And you're like, oh, this was terrible. I can do way more as an entrepreneur or way more as a businessman um, in my community. Um, because it's one of the things Andrew and I struggle with is that both of us are builders. Like we looked at running for president as a, like a co-founder, like start, like you're the candidate, I'm the, the CEO, whatever. And like, go, let's go. And that was great at work to a point, but then when you want to win, then you want to play ball, right. And instead of just being like, oh, that's the guy's got a right reason to run and a solid candidate and that sort of thing and raise money. Um, but you want to win. It's just a different game and it becomes it becomes so much more polarizing. So that I think I, I am to your point, and I think you kind of alluded to this. I am really optimistic. Yeah. I think we are trending in the right way. I, think I the agree. There's going to be a lot of pain in between, rate. though. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's going to take yeah. more pain to get where we need to go. <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you. But we can't take it for like like the like the future. I say this all the time as we wrap up. I mean, the future is not guaranteed. Uh, progress is not guaranteed. All of it has to be fought for by people that care. Because I am optimistic, but I'm also not naive. Like the people that want it more win. And so if you want a decent society, you have to get involved both politically and in any way you can with your platform as a business person, as a media person, whatever. Uh, Future's not guaranteed. Nothing is. You got to fight for it. And we need allies at every aspect of our economy and society, both from moms and brothers and sisters to CEOs and C-suite executives. Um, it's an Andrew and I would say the cavalry's not coming. We are the cavalry. No, um, and that's funny. I have a similar say, statement, like you know, no, nobody's coming to save us. You know, superheroes yeah. are for the comic books. We, yes, <laughs> and, that, and the, so. the, the other key is, and I think it's a good way to end is like for people like yourself and myself who are in this fight, we need to recognize the ally when you see them. You know. This person, Zach Grauman, is not perfect. He's going to say something dumb. I guarantee it. Either on this podcast or in the future. And that is not, but he is doing his best to be a freaking ally, right? And they're, you identify those people, like build the bridge, the islands of excellence, whatever you do to work around the people who are actually working against you. Um, and that's hard, um, particularly how this, you know, social media is going to fan that flame, brother. Um, but um, I, am, I am appreciative of 
your work um, and grateful for your time. Rob, so best website for you, disruptart.io, anywhere else yeah, we can um, you can go send, to disruptart.io. Um, you can also go to Disruption Now. You can go to either website, disruptionnow.com. Um, but definitely disruptart.io. I want you to definitely see the NFT platform we're building. And Zach, I'd love to talk to you more. Let's have, we've got to have another conversation. I know oh, all yeah, this about you. Back, so let's, man. I'll come, let, we'll come back on your show. Um, let's do but it. I, uh, look, I, I thank you. Thank you for your time. Keep fighting the good fight. You're a real life superhero to me. I like, we've had a lot of real life superheroes on this podcast, which I, one of the goals is to talk about the future with people actually doing the work and shaping the future. So thank you, Rob. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you, brother. Talk soon.